Good morning. Today is Thursday, February 11th, 2021. Corey Bush is a 44-year-old woman from Missouri, and she has just begun her freshman term as a Democratic Congresswoman from Missouri. She's serving now in the U.S. Congress. And among the first things that she spoke up about was about experiences that she had when she was in her late teens. She publicly told the story of a romantic relationship she had when she was 18 or 19. And her new boyfriend was very affectionate. He would give her gifts all the time. And then very quickly, the attention and the affection started to get a little weird. He started to answer my phone. I thought it was cute at first. He wanted to answer my phone and talk to my friends. But then it turned into him screening my calls. And then he started to hit her. She couldn't leave because he would threaten that he would kill himself if she left. It's kind of a uh, psychological manipulation. And he would come back so sweet and so kind and so loving and so sorry. Lawmakers in the United States and other places are beginning to acknowledge that in the area of domestic abuse, there is a lot of education that we need and a lot of evolution in terms of how we think of it. Because while many people still believe that domestic abuse is physical violence, which it certainly is, Terrible, terrible crime. But verbal abuse, psychological abuse, things like controlling behavior, isolating behavior, trying to control how someone else spends their money. Maybe people have been willing to acknowledge that they could become stepping stones to violence. But there is a move across a number of places to recognize these behaviors as domestic abuse in and of themselves, because that is precisely what the research has shown for the last several decades. In September, California passed a law that allows coercive behaviors, such as isolating partners, etc., to be introduced as evidence in family court of domestic abuse. And this is countering this long-term cliche that domestic abuse can only be physical violence. There are several countries that have such laws that recognize that these psychological manipulations and these verbal abusive situations are themselves domestic abuse. And, of course... Unfortunately, the problem is not getting better. 
one in four women experience severe violence in their relationships in their lifetimes. And it is the leading cause of homicides for women in the United States of America. One in four women will experience severe violence in their relationships throughout their lifetimes. As I shared with you a few days ago, as horrifying as that statistic is, don't think you can hide within your personal identity because that number is stable across every religion, culture, socioeconomic level, education level. That includes within our community. And part of the problem is that though these women may suffer injuries, what keeps them in the relationship often and what makes the trauma last is the emotional abuse because the emotional abuse, belittling, berating, makes a person's self-esteem shrink and it makes that person easier to control. And they really come to believe that they're not going to be able to live on their own. They really come to believe that they will not be able to protect themselves. And so the belittling and the isolating and the psychological manipulation is what causes the injuries to increase, unfortunately. And all too often, these behaviors are not treated by law enforcement or by the courts or by many of us in society as being the core of domestic abuse. Very often, many people will say, you know, well, were you hit? God forbid. Where did you get hurt? And if you don't have a bruise or a broken bone, then that's not really abuse, but that is a terrible, terrible mistake. Other countries have these laws on their books. England, Wales, make it illegal to exercise in controlling behavior, isolating behavior. But what we need to understand is that in the words of one expert, Domestic violence is a complex issue, but at the heart of it is the need for power and control. That can come from physical power, but it can just as likely come from verbal and psychological power. And the ways to deal with this problem are often counterintuitive. And well-meaning people may give advice that is actually harmful. They don't mean it, but it could be harmful. Just as an example, the most dangerous moment for victims of domestic abuse, experts say, is when they decide to end their relationship. So if a person is thinking of ending a relationship but has not taken the precautions to protect themselves, to prepare, to protect their lives, 
their lives are in danger. This is a lesson, especially the emphasis on the destruction of words, of controlling behavior. This is a lesson that runs through the entire Torah. Very early at the beginning of Bereshus, the Torah says, God says that it's not good for man to be alone. I will make for him a helper to be with him. Azer Konegdo. And it will be that a man will leave his mother and father, and they shall become one flesh. Says Rashi, what does it mean? They shall become one flesh. They shall become one flesh because if they marry and they have a child, the child will be one flesh that came from the two of them. That's what Rashi says. A number of commentators ask the following question. Why don't you just interpret it in a simple manner? They become like one unit. They become like one person. When they marry, they become merged. Because that's not what is supposed to happen. Because marriage is not supposed to be the merging of two personalities into one personality. That's not healthy. An adult even within a marriage relationship, needs to be distinct. There must be boundaries. I am me and you are you. And there are differences between us. We can work together. We can work together on a project that creates an amazing new baby that will be a joint effort of both of us. Yes. But shalom bias, harmony within the home, does not want merging into one person. It is not true in Jewish values, that a married couple is like one unit. No, they're two adults. Each one must speak for themselves. No one must speak for the other. I've quoted before the insight of Rabbi Norman Lamb. Rabbi Norman Lamb contrasts the two candles that we use on Shabbos. We use candles when Shabbos begin. We use candles when Shabbos end. We use candles when Shabbos begin and we have separate candles. Two candles or however many you, you light, they're separate candles. At the end of Shabbos, we have Habdallah, the end of Shabbos, we use one candle that is braided together. Asks Rabbi Lamb, why is one candle braided together and the other one is separate individual candles? Says Rabbi Lamb, the candles on Friday night are to pursue the goal of shalom bias, harmony within the home. Harmony within the home does not come from merging together into one. It comes from each adult maintaining and retaining their identity, their ownership over themselves, their own responsibility, their own personal connection with God and their own personal connection with others, relationship with others. Shalom bias requires that the candles be separate. And if this is a theme in certain parts of the Torah, it is certainly the theme of our Parsha, the Parsha of Mishpatim. So many of the laws, a lot of the laws deal with physical injuries and laws about 
how to regulate that, how to punish that. But even more of our parsha deals with verbal and psychological abuse and the terrible destruction that comes from that. The Torah tells us, don't mistreat a servant. Even if he's working for you and even if you're paying a wage, you're not allowed to mistreat him, says the Gemara. What does it mean to mistreat him? To call names, put-downs, or just psychological abuse. You have a worker, you tell him, dig a hole. Now you say, fill a ditch. Now you say, dig a hole. Giving a worker meaningless work to do. Not having a sense of gratification for what that person is doing. Belittling the effort of that person. That is all prohibited according to the Torah. The beginning of our parsha records the obligations that a husband has to his wife when they get married. We write these down now in the ksuva, the marriage contract. And we say, the husband says to his wife, Va'ana afalach ve'ezen va'oker va'farnes yisichilechi kihilchaz govring yudoyen. I will uh, provide for you. I will give you food and shelter. I will honor you. And I will make sure you have everything that you need. Yes, there is providing physical needs. But providing for the emotional needs is just as important. And what does it mean to honor? Where our rabbis have told us this. Our rabbis have told us in a definition of shalom bias, harmony with the, in the home. A man is required to love his wife the same way he loves himself and the same way a wife is required to love her husband the way she loves herself. But he must show her greater honor than he shows to himself. It's very simple. It's very, very simple. Would you want someone to speak to you like that? Would you want someone to do that to you? If the answer is yes, fine. If the answer is no, then it's prohibited. Would you want someone to tell you, no, I don't want you to talk to that person? Would you want someone to tell you, uh, I don't want to use the words, but belittling words and words that are, are insults, harsh words, words that lower a person's self-esteem. I wouldn't want someone to lower my self-esteem. I'm not allowed to do it to someone else. The Torah tells us near the beginning of the parsha, "Make aviv v'imo mos yumas." A person who, God forbid, hits their parent in anger is guilty of capital punishment. Okay, we spoke about capital punishment yesterday. Let's just for now take this as a sign of how strict this is. Hitting. I remember hearing Rabbi Dr. Tendler explain because an assault on a parent is a murder of society of the norms. Of society. Society cannot exist if parents are mistreated by their children. But listen to the next line. Mekalel aviv v'imo most you must. If a person curses their parents, now it's only verbal. Verbal abuse. Same punishment. Same punishment because it's the same danger. It's the same destruction. We often think that Physical violence is much worse than verbal abuse. Here's the Torah clearly, one Pusik after another showing you, no, verbal abuse 
is exactly as serious as physical abuse. The Pasuk says, Vigair lo sone, do not mistreat the convert or the stranger. Velo silchatsenu, and do not steal from them. Says Rashi, what does that mean? A person who is a stranger or a convert or an immigrant, all three of those terms apply to the biblical term ger. Losonu, that's onaz dvarim, mistreatment through speech, verbal abuse. To make a negative comment about a, a, a stereotype about a, a, a minority group or someone with a certain skin color or a background to make a negative comment. Here, it's prohibited according to the Torah. It's a violation of the Torah's laws. Lo sone velo silchatsenu. And do not steal from them. Well, hold on. You're not supposed to steal from anybody. But Rashi explains, but these people are vulnerable. They may not have any relatives to protect them. They may not have social relationships that will look after them. In other words, there is a psychological dimension of preying on someone who does not have the defenses that others have, who is more vulnerable. And you should not do that. And says the Torah, you know why you should not do that? Because you were belittled. You were enslaved. You were treated like dirt. And you should know what it feels like and never do it to someone else. The Torah says, call Do not mistreat the widow or the orphan, says Rashi. Don't mistreat anybody. But the widow and the orphan, they're vulnerable. Who's going to stick up for them? They're in a position of emotional vulnerability. They're, they're vulnerable to abuse, verbal abuse, psychological abuse. And the Torah continues, in Tana Oso, God says, and if you abuse those individuals, Ki Itzak, Itzak I lie, they in their pain will cry out to me, God says, Shamoa Shomea Tzakoso. God says, I will listen to their cry and I will come to their aid. In our parsha, there are many, many more examples of the seriousness of verbal abuse and psychological manipulation and isolating behavior. Dealing with, ver with domestic abuse is a specialized form of counseling. Not everyone is qualified to do this because sometimes the advice that is needed is counterintuitive. And sometimes there are well-meaning people, sometimes rabbis and rebbitzins who are very well-meaning, but they can, God forbid, cause great damage in the advice that they give unless they are qualified and trained and experienced in this particular form of harm. I mentioned before, I learned from Dr. Tversky and others and mostly from women who have come to me over the years and who have taught me. I will never forget 
years ago, sitting, my, sitting in my office with a woman who had suffered domestic abuse. And I asked her, at that time I was not experienced, I was much younger. And I said to her, the bruises that you're showing me, the physical violence that you're suffering, it's, it's just so overwhelming to me. And this woman said to me, the bruises, the broken bones, they're not as bad as the insults and the put downs because the broken bones will heal. But the put downs, the insults, the names that were caused, that caused my self-esteem to plummet, that's much harder to heal. Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve were created as adults. It's interesting. The Torah doesn't say they were created as babies. The Torah doesn't even say that Adam was created as an adult and Chava was created as a baby. You know, as long as Chava had one adult there to take care of her, maybe she could have been created as a baby. No, they're both created as adults. Why? To teach us this lesson in the very first marriage that has to apply to every single marriage, both spouses have to treat the other as adults. And if I wouldn't want controlling behavior, I shouldn't do it to someone else. And that type of behavior is just as serious as the physical blows. I remember reading this many years ago, and it's something that I've thought about. Of course, there's a whole spectrum of how serious, how light it can be. Husband and wife live together. It's very common. One of them is cold, the other is hot. Try to notice something. <clears throat> you come into a room and you say, I'm cold. There's no argument, no insult, just I'm cold. Or you come into the room and you say, it's cold. What's the difference? It seems very subtle, but it's actually very, very significant. If I come into the room and say, it's cold, it means that I am stating this as a fact and it's not possible to disagree with me. It's cold. So if the other person says, no, I'm quite comfortable, no, you're wrong, but you're wrong because it is cold. I've stated it as a matter of fact. I am controlling how you should be feeling. If I come into a room and say, I'm cold, fine. I'm cold, you're not cold, that's fine. You be like you be, I'll be like my be, like I'll be. To be sensitive to that very subtle aspect of language, I'm cold, doesn't impose it on you. That is what our teachers, our Parsha is teaching us. And that is a lesson that we need to learn in very, very easy cases, but also, God forbid, when it becomes more serious. If you or someone you know is experiencing this, even if you think you might need help, but you're unsure, I urge you, please get professional help. 
from a rabbi who has experience in domestic abuse or from one of the organizations that is dedicated to this issue, like Ometz in our community, Ober Shalom, wonderful organizations, help is available for the very serious cases, but also for the more minor cases where a person is not on the right path and maybe with some understanding and enlightening can get back on the right path. Help is available. God hears and we hear and we want to help. And the lesson of our Parsha is all of us should be just as careful with our words as we are with our fists. My friends, I wish you a very good day, a peaceful, calm and harmonious day. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.